Hello, hello, and welcome to Air and Earth Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be here with one of just a person I really respect, really admire, and also have gotten to know really deeply in the last year. She is a client and also someone who we've agreed that we're soul sisters. We just resonate on. We made an agreement. <laughs> Jasmine Hayden is here on the show, and I'm so excited. You came into my life over a year ago now. You started kind of like popping up into my classes. And one thing that I noticed right away is that you really brought something to the classes. Like you brought really interesting questions. You brought different perspectives. You brought like authenticity. And that was something that right away I really admired in you. And then Jasmine came into one of my year-long programs and has been really present in my work in the last year. Um, I've also brought Jasmine into the Abundance Beyond Conference uh, twice now. So she's actually been on the show before in recordings from the conference. So when I think of your work in the world, I think of three main pillars. There is embodiment and, you know, working with trauma, working with embodied liberation. You also take a big stand and have a, um, a deep passion for social justice as well as regenerative wealth. And I'm really excited to talk about all of these things here with you today. So I welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here with you. Mm -hmm. I would love to get started the way that I always like to get started when I'm do doing interviews and just to know more about you, more about your background, your story, what got you to this place where you're interested and in pursuing this work and just share a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a little bit about my backstory. I was raised with a single mom in the Bay Area of California and was really passionate about the arts. So I've always been a creative. I was singing and dancing and acting. And then I discovered in my teenage years how art was being used for activism. So how people were channeling their creativity into social movements and became very inspired uh, to have an outlet for the first time in my life where I could bridge those worlds of getting to express myself and getting to be in my artistry and also this this passion that was rooted from the rage of inequity, you know, that I was seeing and experiencing within my own body and my own communities. And it's interesting because I, I've lived in so many different worlds from a young age and I, growing up in the Bay Area, which has a lot of, you know, class disparity, but there, I had the privilege of my mom working really hard to put me in schools, public schools, where I had a lot of access to resources. Um, however, I was so challenged by my own upbringing and my own barriers. Um, and I was the only person of color in most of the spaces that I was in, at least I'd, I should say melanated, melanated color, because there was definitely Asian, a huge Asian population. Um, and so through just realizing how, um, 
wrong and unfair. The systems of oppression were created for people, um, you know, from all different kinds of identities that are beyond race, but also race was the first one that kind of hit me um, that I I started to have this, this strong drive towards social justice. And then I, I was merging my passion with art with social justice. And that became this, uh, this fire within me of like, oh, I can, I can heal and alchemize my own pain and trauma and also be an agent for larger systemic change. Uh, and so I followed that passion through undergrad and through grad school. And I had throughout that time, a series of really significant spiritual awakenings. And at one point I was in Costa Rica um, and I was in just my own world of prayer and ceremony and asking God and asking spirit, like, what is here for me? What is here for me to see? What is here for me to, to know? And it came through uh, was entrepreneurship, which I had been thinking about. And it had been, you know, something that I, I had my own stories and limiting beliefs around for years. But it came through so crystal clear that I couldn't deny it anymore. And I it kind of it was my first wave of releasing doubt of my capabilities beyond what I had been led to believe I was able to experience in life. Uh, and so that was really what propelled me into this industry, into the coaching industry, into uh, mentorship in this kind of way and starting my own business and bringing those things, the, the hugest, the big parts of my own healing journey into a world that I can invite other people in uh, and support them with. And so I don't know how short of a backstory that was because I just kept going, but uh, it's great. It's great. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch into many places. Yeah, I'm sure. I, so the question that I wanted to start with, I was kind of giggling. You don't, you haven't heard the questions. (laughs) And when we were getting on before we started recording, I was like, I was thinking to myself, this first question, I feel like I could ask you this and then you could just talk for like probably two hours on it, honestly. Like this, this is the only question for this entire (laughs) podcast episode. So like I mentioned when I was introducing you, I've seen your work and I've seen you talk about, I mean, a lot of different things, but there's three areas that really stand out for me. And that is social justice regenerative wealth, and then embodied liberation, trauma release, right? That, that area. And what I would love to hear you speak about is how I would love to know about the intersection of all of these areas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> love- you you <laughs> called that. I could write a whole dissertation. I know. It's going to be a I book. I think I probably <laughs> have to some extent wrote, written like a, a thesis or a research paper on these things just in different regards at some point in my academic I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I was giggling because I am like, this is such a massive question, but that's what yeah. we're here yeah. to do. This is so-, so good. I love this. I love that you asked this. Wow. 
now that I'm actually sitting with this, I'm realizing there was a point in my grad program where I was considering getting my doctorate and literally doing a whole research study on these intersections. Yeah. So um, we're going to yeah, condense okay. four to five, four to six years of <laughs> research study and <laughs> and writing and speaking into, you know, however long you want to take to answer okay so this is my heart's work um that it keeps revealing itself to me you know every every year every season every month there's a new layer that is unveiled that I discover in how these things intersect uh and intersectionality in and of itself, which is coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, she talks about how different aspects of our identity are all connecting to themselves. And so what I've done throughout my my years of really going deeper into how my identities are impacting how I show up in the world and then seeing that is also um, bringing in these these core themes that I am gathering in our reality. <laughs> um, and so the way that I used to think of intersectionality was, you know, race, class, gender, uh, religion, um, sexuality. And I had identified and do identify with a, most all of those being from marginalized places, right? I'm I'm black, I'm Mexican, I'm gender queer, I'm non-binary. I'm I very much experience myself not as the dominant uh either the dominant or the favored, let's say by society identities, which as you know if you're someone who's socially conscious in any tiny regard is is white man Christian. Like that's the what the dominant story or narrative that the lens through which we've been taught to see society in, and then it became white women as well. And then now we're having a lot more in recent years of other voices taking the center stage. And so I just want to contextualize intersectionality before I dive into this particular um, aspect of my work. So as I was going through my own journey of dismantling, which I still very much am am and will be probably until I die, <laughs> dismantling what internalized oppression means to me, it was seeing the ways that I was living according to a standard that I was taught through that lens of white superiority or supremacy um, or gender superiority or right all of those different things. And one of the most massive catalyst in my own spiritual awakening, which at this point, my first one was, I'd say around like nine, yeah, nine years ago was like my first huge, significant spiritual awakening was realizing how many of the beliefs and the stories that had been programmed within my mind and my body were not mine. They were coming from, you know, colonized ways of thinking and being that were coming from the intersections of patriarchy and toxic capitalism and all of these different 
structures that are set up within our society to essentially take away our power. And when I discovered that I am simultaneously, and this is where it gets nuanced and a little complex, simultaneously powerful beyond those structures, my soul, my beingness, um, and what I am capable of or what is possible for me or people like me, uh, while also living within those structures that can't just be eradicated by, you know, power of belief. <laughs> and so that was when I was discovering, oh, wow, these stories and these beliefs are also energy that I'm holding in my body, that they are taking space in my body, taking space in my field, and that the trauma that I've experienced in my lifetime has been passed down from my parents, from my grandparents, from my great-grandparents, from the survival that was necessary because of those very systems. And so I was, that's when I really started to become passionate about ancestral healing and intergenerational healing and seeing how trauma uh, just completely distorts our perceptions of ourselves and of reality and our ability to feel safe in our bodies. So that's where body liberation, somatic liberation was really birthed of, wow, I get to feel free in my body, free to be, free to express, free to exist when that has quite literally been unaccessible for, and still is absolutely, for so the majority, I would say, of the, the population. Um, and this is all bodies experiences and more so than not, black and brown bodies and bodies that are non-binary and bodies that are, you know, not outside of societal norms, essentially. And so as I was discovering that, I was also going through this journey of tapping into what abundance felt like and what, uh, how my privileges were working for me and how my lack of privilege in a lot of areas was working against me. And so then I started to start diving into my investigation of money and how it works in the world and seeing, you know, the, the ways that we've been taught to relate to money and the ways that I had been taught to relate to money uh, that creates the idea that reinforce the ideas that reinforce lack and that reinforce scarcity that there's not enough, that some people get to have some and some people don't. Um, and all of those things have, they do have truth to them. Um, and then there's also a breakthrough that is possible that I've realized where abundance and wealth is separate, but related to money entirely. And so I started going deeper into my, my decolonizing journey of reclaiming my roots of realizing that I have indigenous roots that I had been completely robbed of, that I had been so, uh, so, oh, there's a word that I'm forgetting right now, but it's going to come back. But I'd been put into uh, a culture that had not allowed me to own my, uh, my ancestry, my, my uh, identities, my ways of of connection to life itself in order to survive in that new culture. And from that, I, I completely had forgotten 
<laughs> like I'd forgotten in a spiritual sense and also in like a very real tangible sense. Like I'd forgotten where I came from, what the traditions and the rituals were for my people and, and things like this. And so I started to remember and I went on this really deep journey, which I'm still, I'm just in the beginning of, I would say this started more presently, maybe five, five years ago. Uh, and I got a lot deeper into it in the past few years, uh, but just discovering my indigenous roots and connection to land and connection to the elements and to prayer and to the realms that are unseen. And I started to receive so much guidance and so much wisdom from places I didn't know existed uh, because I was so numb and blind, I'd say, in some ways, uh, when I was younger. Uh, oh, maybe you can remember the word, because now I really want to remember it. Um, it's the word where, where you're, you're put into a new culture and then forced to forget. Like assimilate? Assimilate. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So that's what, that's what my grandparents went through. Um, and so they did that when they came from Mexico to here. And then my my mom was born here and she had already started to, you know, like leave behind some of our Mexican roots, but still was holding on to and they still do very much hold on to them. But more was starting to get left behind as assimilation was happening and we were becoming more Americanized. And so she worked really hard to put me in the kinds of places that no one in my family had been able to go in terms of um, just amazing school districts. And so I had a really high education, but I was struggling in so many ways. In so many ways, I was deep in the struggle. And so as I was assimilating, I just kept going more in the colonizing route and out of the indigenous route. And eventually I got to that place that I was speaking of before where I just realized that there's so much richness and so much uh, abundance beyond money in being connected to the self, being connected to spirit, being connected to mother earth in these kinds of ways, that that is actually a kind of wealth that is irreplaceable and that is it's hard to access in its own ways because of the way that our system is set up unless we we are connected to those roots in our own roots and so I I started to explore this concept this is more recent this regenerative wealth I got introduced to regenerative agriculture uh back in in undergrad I've always cared deeply about about our relationship to to conscious uh collaboration and creation and consumerism and, and things like that. But I didn't have a way to tie it into these other areas of my life. It felt like it felt like uh, regenerative lifestyle was something that I was working toward and that it very much countered the ideas of what wealth meant. Because at that point, wealth, how I had seen it, and this was an identity that I used to very much hold. The identity I used to hold was uh, struggling, starving artists, activists, wealthy people are greedy and hoarding and are uh, the reason that everything is wrong in the world <laughs> in terms of in terms of people having access to to health and basic needs and things like that. And then 
as I was going deeper into my money journey, I'm like, oh, wow, actually, what if there's a way that wealth can exist, that it's it's to benefit to all? What if wealth gets to be life-giving? And what if um, everyone who has the ability or who can be given the ability to have a healthy relationship to money, that also translates into a healthy relationship with ourself. Uh, and obviously there's like a basic foundation of security that's needed to even be able to contemplate these kinds of things. Because if you're thinking about how am I going to feed myself today? How am I going to feed myself tomorrow? There's no way that you're going to be able to be thinking about how can I, you know, live regeneratively in, in my life. Um, but anyhow, all of that to say that regenerative wealth and trauma healing and somatic healing became hand in hand because I realized the more that I healed my trauma, the more that I healed my body, the more that I felt free in my body, the more that I was liberating the pain and the suffering and all of the things that didn't feel good that I had inherited, the more regenerative I felt in my life, the more I was able to make conscious decisions that were in alignment with my values and that were integrity with who I, who I am and who I want to be and, and who I, who I want to take a stand for in the world. Uh, and so regenerative wealth is so tied into, for me, it's tied into how can we in whatever positions we, we hold work to create more goodness and richness and love and abundance for people who wouldn't otherwise have that availability or that access to it through our own work. Um, and to to have that tie in with our relationship to earth as well. Um, and social justice is it's it's all it's all it's all over all of that. So <laughs> I mean I can get deeper into how it is. I know. There. I'm sure you could hear it from what I was saying, how social justice is just like, it's just in all of that. Like it just is, it's, there's, there's a lot. I know I was sitting here thinking like I was listening to you and I'm like, I have 50 different tangent questions <laughs> and say, and comments and all sorts of things. And this could be an eight hour podcast <laughs> episode, literally. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to zigzag a little bit. Thank you for answering that. And these topics are going to keep coming up. And I want to get more deeply later on into your work in these areas and how you how you offer them, how you work with people in this, these areas. I know that you're doing some really interesting things. You're celebrating some, some foundings and things like that. We'll get into all of that later. But I, I kind of want to zigzag. And one thing I wanted to ask you is I would love, because we're both in the coaching industry, a lot of people who are listening in are in some area of the coaching industry or have been involved in it in some way, either by being a client or you know, dipping their toe in or, you know, going all the way in all that kind of stuff. I would love to hear your perspective of how you see oppressive structures playing out in this industry and what direction you feel like what could be implemented across the board to help create more equity in this space more um yeah more support and and all of that that's that's my next question 
There's so much here. <laughs> Another eight hour podcast episode yes. coming up. Uh, okay. Wow, there's so much. I'm going to be uh, as succinct as I can. So, one of the first things that I want to name is this is a white dominated industry. Uh, and there are so many people of color that have amazing skills and gifts and experiences that are doing amazing in this industry. And the way that I have seen it, it is predominantly white centered. And that comes with the reality that it is a privilege to be able to be to even enter this industry that is mostly afforded to white people. And in the realms of the aspects of the industry that we're in, as in like women uh, empowerment in some respect, uh, predominantly, I know that we both support men as well, but I'd say that we both mostly support women. And I see my own field of perception with white, women coaches supporting other people is that for the most part they are supporting other white women so one lens to see that through is it's white privileged women helping other white privileged women become more privileged <laughs> that's a very like uh transparent way to name one of the things that i've seen and so it makes it extraordinarily difficult for people who aren't that to enter this industry um, or to succeed. And there's a lot of barriers that come financially with how things are priced and how things are marketed. And it gets really nuanced here because the way that I think that we're taught to, uh, there's so many different ways to teach marketing, of course. And there's so many different ways to, to hone in on who your ideal client is. And the the nuance is that we we want to support i mean if you're a heart centered person who who cares about being of service you want to support the the people that that come to you and there's so many reasons why people who don't fit that norm of and it's mostly unconscious is what i see because again going back to what i was talking about before with uh like the the normal standard of perception being before I was talking about white male, but in this respect, white woman, it's that you're not looking or seeing beyond that cognitively. It's like a very unconscious thing that's happening, that that's the expectation of the person that's going to be showing up or the person that um, is is there when the truth is that there are so many people who don't fit that mold who aren't able to even enter spaces because one, affordability and accessibility. And so they're automatically priced out of these very, uh, I mean, there's so many different kinds of offers, of course, but I'm speaking about the higher ticket offers. Um, so more intimate, high touch support. And two, people aren't equipped to be able to hold the kind of complex nuanced spaces that are required of, of 
that kind of population, as in the population that isn't white and privileged, <laughs> privileged to whatever extent. And so there's a lot of education that needs to happen in terms of making this system or this specific industry or field more anti-oppressed or anti-oppressive. There's a there's training that needs to happen around how to hold deep, safe spaces for people of color or people who are non-binary or people who are non-normative um, in whatever ways we've been taught to, to see that because what happens on a subconscious level, and this is a, it's a, it's a conditioned way of, of being or responding is that we will push away and it's not, we're not even aware of it. People push away what is unfamiliar or what is unrecognizable or what they don't know because it doesn't feel safe. So then those people that don't have an entry point, right? And so then the healing or the transformation or the evolution it is only in those circles. It's only, it's a, it feels closed off energetically. It's like, oh, I can, I'm, I'm equipped to handle this. So I can hold this, but no one else can come in. And this is all energetic, right? So it's not like literally spoken out loud. So, and sometimes it is, I mean, if you're a bigot, <laughs> but most people in this industry are not. <laughs> I'm from Tennessee. So <laughs> such most people in this particular industry. Anyhow. <laughs> so then there's this, this like this like block, right? This energetic block of like, I'm not letting people in to this space. And we can call this like the space of transformation or the space of expansion or the space of deep healing, uh, because I don't feel safe in some way. Um, and so we touched on to, to class, so like money and accessibility, and then we we're touching on um like unfamiliarity or discomfort with identities that are not your own. And then we're, and then the last piece of that that's really important is the actual ability. So like the training and the education to be able to hold those kinds of spaces so that the people who do get in those spaces feel safe. And so just speaking into my own experience with this as being, I'd say, I'd say in all of the coaching and training and certification programs that I've been in, <laughs> 99% of the time, I'm the only woman of color. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure that's an accurate, <laughs> an accurate thing. And in my first year and a half of being in that world, as in receiving coaching from programs, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, being in, in, in spaces that were, I was the only black woman, or Mexican woman, um, is that the people who were holding the space were not seeing me for my the color of my skin and not to say that is like seeing it only as but it's that whole blind uh being colorblind thing it's like speaking to me as if i'm a white woman and not realizing that there are specific traumas and pains and inequities that I've experienced that are not relatable to the other people in the space that make it a particular challenge for me to even exist in that space, for me to even be there and to own the kind of power that I was wanting or that I was stepping into because of those very things, right? And so as I was seeing that, I was realizing this huge issue with the industry that I really think that this is the direction that we need to be moving in of people just not having the depth of, of 
training and education to facilitate and hold spaces for people of color or people who are uh, who are beyond any binary or things that are um, beyond their own personal lived experience, not to be able to relate, but to be able to have that space feel safe and to specifically name those kinds of things. For instance, like I'll just give one example to make this a little bit more tangible. If I, in the beginnings of my of my time in uh, receiving coaching, if I had come in and let's say I, I shared something that was really painful that I was wanting to navigate and I was to work through and this person, and it had to do with my personal lived experience and this person or this coach were to say something like, like I, I hear that this is what's going on for you and this is how you can see a way out versus, not see a way out, see a way through versus saying that experience is something that I can't relate to. And I can imagine, this is me being like a, a trauma for facilitator. So I'm just giving our listeners like insight into how a shift into that. Um, I can see how <clears throat> your experience as a black woman, because of what you're naming that has to do specifically with being black, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, is something I could never understand. And how can, you know, how can I best support you here, X, Y, Z. So actually acknowledging that what is being put in the room has to do with all of what someone is holding, meaning, you know, the color of their skin, the way that they're taught to believe about themselves, the 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 kinds of challenges that they've had to overcome and things like this. And when we're when we're in this world, I think a lot of the time in the self-development world, we're thinking about like the self that is beyond the body. And I think that's something, if you're not as much focused on embodiment work, um, cause I see this a lot with people who are focused on like mindset or focused on um, like only money or who are focused on things like this. And so when we bring the body in, if you're an embodiment facilitator or coach, or if you're not, I think that you it would be <laughs> of service to bring the body into the equation <laughs> is to also really take into consideration how that specific body has has gone through whatever they've gone through to lead them to be in that space. And so all of that <laughs> is uh, is in connection to what I see as being one of the most powerful ways that we can really move forward in this industry is getting an anti-oppressive education as it's relating to a diversity of populations that are outside of how you see yourself in the world. And to have the strength and the resilience to sit with the discomfort of how your privilege and how your access has blinded you to seeing those things that I've been naming, right? Um, and in that regard, also being committed to staying um, on the path of integrating what practices that you can be instilling in your life to become more anti-oppressive on a consistent basis, like not like a one and done, like, oh, I took this anti-racist training, for instance, 
for a month or or I took this class. So now I'm good. And like checking that off. It's like being willing if you're actually a leader of integrity and embodied social leadership is continuing to be learning about what is happening outside of you and welcoming in and inviting in more people who have experiences that are completely outside of your own, having to do with inequity, having to do with injustice, and creating more access points for them to be able to to come into, into the work. And so that's making things that are high ticket even more affordable. Um, that's creating that this is these are what ideas that I'm seeing. And I think that there's a range for this, you know, obviously, everyone has to tune into themselves, but things that are, uh, if there's people who, 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 like the way that I'm seeing this is this industry will continue to be the elite staying wealthy in the sense of the elite hoarding and having most of the money. And I'm I'm saying this in a very non-judgmental way, just as like a transparent way of how I see this as a matter of fact of the the majority of people who are really profiting, who are really making a lot of money, creating more space for people who are like them to do that. The only way we're really going to dismantle that is by creating space for people who don't have those means or those availability to enter those spaces too, and to be a voice in those spaces, to be heard in those spaces, and for everyone else to be able to receive and to witness what it's like for that to be normalized. Like what if it's actually normalized for, let's say a mastermind or a uh, a training or a certification or something that's let's say five to $15,000. I'm just throwing out numbers right now. If it was actually half people of color and half white versus what I see it now is like, it's a rare thing if there's like one or two people of color in that space. Um, so there's a lot there, but I'll stop for a minute. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Yeah. What, a, what I'm hearing from you is like actually sitting with the discomfort and like building an awareness of your own privileges enough and like listening to other people enough that you actually have, you, you care. <laughs> Cause I think that's the thing. I think there's just a lot of ignorance, honestly. I mean, from my perspective, it's like, you know, and not in a way that's like, I mean, that's just what it is. It's not like trying to shame anyone or it's just ignorance, you know? And, um, and not just going through and like checking off a list and being like, well, I listened to this podcast episode and Jasmine said I should do this. So I'm just going to do that. So I look a certain way, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and just yeah. being aware of these things. Yeah. So I see so often too with, and this is why I'm such a, I, I get really passionate about this because I think it, it really matters. Like I see, like I work with people from all different backgrounds. So I work with white women and I work with with brown and brown, uh, black women and every color in between. And what I've seen with the white women who really are social justice oriented is they they come in and I I love this about them. I adore this about them because it actually takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to acknowledge this, which most people don't even have that ability to. They do have the ability. That's not what I mean. They don't have the um, awareness yet. Is what I meant. Um, to acknowledge this of like, wow, I'm being very performative. Like I am performing that I am doing these things, but I know that this isn't coming from my most authentic place. And I think that's what a lot of activism or social change work or anything relating to like 
being what I see as like un, in, in more of a space of unconditional love for, for self and for others. That's how, one of the ways that I see it. And so like taking off the mask of performatism or performism <laughs> and like, I, I actually, and this, it takes work to have, I think, to drop into, but I have the desire for myself to be liberated. And if I truly know what liberation means, then I know that it is empty if it is for myself and not for others too. And so then the work that takes that commitment that we were talking about before, it like the the mask of performing comes off and it's like, I am not going to be fully fulfilled or you know, I'm not going to, to feel the, the true impact of my work if I'm continuing to live in this way that's not in alignment with that bigger picture that we're talking about. So I just wanted to speak into the performance piece because I think that, that it's so related and it's speaking back into that ignorance. It's like, we're not, and if there's zero shame because we're all ignorant of some things, there's no way we can be all knowing, right? Yeah. And so- ignorance isn't necessary. I mean, if as soon as we like start to become aware of something, I feel like, you know, there is that, but that's, I think that's the thing with a lot of compassionate people. And there's a lot of compassionate people in this industry. It's like, as soon as you start to build an awareness, people will feel if, if people have a heart, they'll like, which a lot of people do, they'll start to feel drawn and they'll be like, and it's uncomfortable at first. They'll be like, Whoa, I was really blindsided. And I'm learning shit all the time. Like I'm, I want to like say that's like, I'm a white woman with a ton of privilege. It's uncomfortable for me to have these conversations but I've also like leaned in long enough that like I I see the value and and think it's important to have these conversations and like you know <clears throat> but seeing it as where was I going with this I've there's again this could be like a 12 hour podcast episode yeah I think people have a heart enough that like once they start to see it they'll be like okay, this is something I should look at. And this is something I should listen to, even if it makes me really uncomfortable. And then, yeah, giving yourself and this just being dedicated to it long enough, listening long enough, staying plugged in long enough to these conversations that your body has the time. And this is that intersection piece again, like letting your body process the discomfort of realizing how much your success is based on yes, your hard work, all of that. But also like, if you like, if you messed up in your business and needed to live at home, you needed, you know, a couple thousand dollars from your parents, whatever it is, like, do you have that availability? Are you inheriting a home from your parents? Like all of that kind of stuff, looking at all the ways that you already have so much safety, so much privilege, uh, and not just in the financial sense, like that's in the financial sense, because we're talking about starting a business, but it's like, and just like, yeah, being dedicated to it long-term lifelong. Um, So thank you. Thank you for speaking to all these things. I know we could talk about it forever. But I, I also want to give space to talk about your specific work and your creations, how you work with people, the value of your work. I know that you have some, some things that are, shall I say, growing and, um, and, uh, yeah, I would just love to give space for you to speak about your work in the world. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So there's different entry points, uh, I'd say, depending on these different aspects of my work. My one of the programs that came through me that's just showing up right now uh, that I think is the heart of kind of everything, but in different ways. This came through after I was in um, the Amazon last year. And this is when um, I was going through a massive death and rebirth, which I'm going through right now. Um, but at that point in time, there was so much that was showing up for me that I didn't know was under the surface. And uh, I birthed this program. I was like, I want to really clear, transmute, and alchemize these this dense, heavy, sticky energy. Um, and it was very confusing of a time, but I was also feeling the most powerful I'd felt up until that point in my life. And so I created this program, Embodied Alchemy. And that's like my, my witchiest program. And what we went through and what we go through in that particular space is clearing and transmuting and alchemizing as i was saying before the stories and the beliefs and the emotions that are held in the body and letting that be the way to step into feminine power so owning your sensuality your sexuality your femininity your uh luxuriousness and doing all of that with nervous system regulation, nervous system expansion. So building the capacity in the body to feel safe, being in your highest power, essentially, and letting go of everything that is not that, um, that shows up in the space. And so that's, that's a one month really potent container. But I think that that, in a way sums up like all of my other spaces, as like the heart of it, adding in, you know, ancestral healing and anti-oppression. So it's like, clearing and shifting the uh, the traumas and the, the ways of relating the ways of responding to ourself and to our reality that you know are either harmful or that are dysfunctional or that don't serve us being in our sovereignty and in, in your agency in your in your magic in your medicine and really owning that and so um yeah that I think is it's in everywhere, but that particular space, it's really deep. Um, and my mastermind is an extension. My mastermind came way before that, but that one is where we start to bring in money. Um, and then we start to bring in leadership. And so we, it's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more assets to it, I'd say facets to it. I mean, and I think with every one of my clients, it it comes down to how are we how are we shedding the identities that you have been either born into or conditioned into or taught that they were all you could be and what is that identity how is the identity holding back from your truest most authentic most liberated expression of your soul and then doing the inner work and taking you know the actions and and realigning the self with that with that version so yeah <laughs> um 
that I see Thriving Queens is like, it's my heart and soul. And I, we had our round this earlier in this year and I'm, I'm going through such a death rebirth portal. So I feel like, honestly, I'm like where I'm at right now, I see that my offerings are going to be more rooted in anti-oppression work um, and Root and Rise, which is like the one that's specifically focused towards that itself. It's, I think that people who come into my world, they can choose into how deep they want to go into that work. But just knowing that social leadership, which is something that I'm a leadership coach. So I, I coach leaders and creatives. Um, or people who are learning to discover that we're all leaders and we're all creatives. <laughs> I'm like, people who don't know that that's what they are, they come. And it's they everyone. Like they realize, oh yeah, that's me. Uh, like that's that's what embodied leadership is, you know? Like it's it's having those connection points, you know? Um, and then just getting to fall deeper in love with yourself and with life and what it is that you're creating with it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else on your radar that's happening that you would like to share? <laughs> I feel like you're saying that like, you know, do you know that I don't? Because I know things, but I don't know if you're talking about something that you know that I don't know too. <laughs> no, it would be something that you know, but I just don't know if you want to say oh. it. Well, <laughs> I have some things on my radar. I don't know if they're the thing that you're thinking of, but I'll, I'll talk about some of the things. Okay, let's do that. I kind of do want to hear it now. I probably do want to hear it. Um. I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't necessarily want to like say things on. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so uh, some things that are my radar are, well, one of the things that we've started um, in this last year is really growing out our free community and our free resource center. And so Here We Grow is the name of my business. And we have our Here We Grow uh, community, which is full of you know, creatives and leaders and visionaries and change makers that are wanting to you know, further their impact, expand their, their regenerative wealth or their conscious wealth, and essentially be in a nourishing, supportive ecosystem of other leaders. And <clears throat> that has been something that I... I'm really excited to be witnessing it grow. We have a, a sacred sibling circle happening tomorrow. Um, and so that space, I, I am continuing to be nourishing and feeding and um, it will uh, just get more juicy as time flows. I can give a little teaser as well. Something that's been on the horizon for quite some time is a membership uh-huh <laughs> it is a membership where you get to have access to uh yoga through the lens of like trauma-informed socially aware approach um so all bodies are welcome and it's like free yourself come and free yourself heal yourself love yourself and so it's like it's my own take on yoga I'm a, I'm in my 500 hour right now. So I'm getting into my more advanced levels of, of teaching. And uh, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of juice in that space and a lot of um, sweet bonuses and, and resources. And that's been, that's been brewing for some time. 
And then my one-on-one container is just getting like more and more profound. It blows my mind. I'm, I'm just so in awe of the, what's possible when you commit to yourself and when you say yes to your expansion and like all that comes with it. And so uh, what I, what I know it feels true for me at this point in time, and who knows if this will shift is that I'm going to be working with only one or two one-on-one clients a year. Like that's what feels right and true for me. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to be entering into this next chapter. Uh, cause I love like my one-on-one clients are my, my soul siblings and we just go so deep and so intimate. And so it feels right and true for me to limit that space, um, so that I can have even more space for, um, the, the group prep programs that are really expanding right now, especially root and rise, uh, as the, the signature embodied leadership course for, for leaders that are just ready to go into the depths of their own leadership and really level up how they're showing up for their communities. Beautiful. I love it. Well, gosh, we've been talking for almost an hour and I, there's still so, there's so much. Yeah. I'll just, I love, I love, you know, okay. I'm going to (laughs) gush. The reason I've brought you into so many different spaces of mine now as a facilitator and like you as a facilitator and plan to continue that (laughs) honestly (laughs) it's because I just like have so much respect for your work both seeing you as a teacher and facilitator and space holder and seeing your process behind the scenes as someone who has held space for you I really trust your your work with people and your encouragement with people and your connection with people and yeah, I'm really thankful for your presence in my life as a client and just as a human as well. And so thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, Ruth, and then just accidentally messing with my microphone for a minute. I was doing something weird. I don't have to cut out. Anyway, it seems like we're fine. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being you. We're going to put all the links down below where to find you connect with you um jasmine also has a podcast which will link the podcast as well we actually did an episode together so i came on your show now you're coming on my show so we'll link that down below as well so that you can go find uh that conversation as well as all the different links for how to connect with you so thank you so much jasmine for coming on i so appreciate you and Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. And thank you so much, Melissa. I admire and adore and respect you so deeply. And I'm so grateful for our connection and to be able to share space together. And you're just such a light in my life. So thank you for bringing me on and thank you for sharing this space. I'm just so honored to have been here with you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everyone. Have a good rest of your day and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.